when you get winded just saying the words 5K run. You know it's time, you know it's time to start walking or exercising again when you conclude that if God really wanted you to touch your toes every morning, he'd have put them up around your knees. Amen. You know it's time to start walking or exercising again when you take a good look at your body and you decide the first thing you better develop is a sense of humor. You know it's time to start walking or exercising again when you step on a talking scale and it says, come back when you're alone. <laughs> wow. Walking is what we're talking about. And last week I shared with you that in order to walk by faith, you got to have a little vision. A little vision about how things can be not necessarily the way they already are. At times, we must also have a little courage. A little courage to get out of our boat, to get out of our comfort zone in order to be in the will of God. But we also learn that when we have that vision and when we have that courage to get out of our boat, we also must keep our focus squarely on the Lord Jesus Christ. If you don't keep your eyes on Jesus, you're going to sink. Amen? Amen? Just like Peter did. So let me ask you this question. How is your walk? How is your walk of faith? Experts say that physical walking is very healthy. It's very good for the heart and very good for the lungs. But spiritual walking is very healthy as well. In fact, spiritual walking is the most effective way to stay alive. Amen? Spiritual walking is the best way to have eternal living, eternal life. Does anybody remember the man who walked with God? Some of you do and lots of you don't. But let me share with you the very beginning book of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 5, in verse 21, the Bible tells us about a man named Enoch. Everybody say Enoch. Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God... 300 years, now some of y'all have walked that long, amen. Walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. And so all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and here's some important part, and he was not. Enoch walked with God and he was not, for God took him. 
I've always thought that of all the men in the Bible, Enoch was the best. I mean, think about this. Not only did Enoch never experience death because God just took him, but he was unique because he walked with God for over 300 years. And the phrase in the Bible that speaks about him walking with God means that he walked closely with God. He walked obediently with God. Man, he must have really loved God. He walked with God over 300 years. How wonderful would that be? Would y'all like to do that? Sorry, it ain't happening. <laughs> Amen. Uh, we'll walk with him a whole lot longer than that. Praise Jesus. Amen. So uh, can you imagine the communion? Can you imagine the fellowship that Enoch had with God? Can you imagine the chats? What'd they talk about for 300 years? Just everything. Just whatever Enoch wanted to talk about. Whatever God wanted to talk about. And that reminded me of a story that the great preacher G. Campbell Morgan once told. That preacher said a little girl went home from Sunday school where her mother said, what did you learn at Sunday school today? And the little girl said, well, we learned about the day that God and Enoch went for an extra long walk and they walked on and on and on until God said to Enoch, you're a long way from home. Why don't you just come on in and stay? And he went. Amen. That is awesome. Well, today, the Apostle John talks about my walk with Christ and your walk with Christ. He talks about our walk, and John's message is very clear about the life that we should live in response to the grace of God on our lives. So, on page 1085 in the Bibles in front of you, in the book of 2 John, the rarely preached from book of 2 John, I want to share with you about how John said we should live in response to the grace the Lord has afforded us. In 2 John, in verse 4, just one chapter in that book, John writes, and he's writing to a church, friends, okay? And he writes, he says, I rejoiced greatly that I have found some of your children, say some. some, some of your children walking in truth as we receive commandment from the Father. And now I plead with you, lady, talking about the church in general, not as though I wrote a new commandment to you, but that which we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. This is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, that as you have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Verse 8, look to yourselves that we do not lose the things we worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. 
Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. To walk with God in a way that shows that you're living in response to his grace, we must first learn to walk in obedience. Check this out in verse 4 again. He said, I rejoice greatly that I have found some of your children walking in truth. Some, you said, some of your children are walking in truth. Friends, the truth is this. Not every person who claims that Jesus is their Christ, claims Jesus is their Savior, walks in obedience to God. Amen? It may be you. It may be me. There's been many times that I have not. Many people, they believe the truth. However, they don't obey God's truth. And you can't have it both ways. That's why we need the grace of God. Consider this. Whenever you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, you knew this was going to come back to food, didn't you? <laughs> Amen? Whenever you go to an all-you-can-eat buffet, do you eat everything on the bar? If you're anything like me, you're probably pretty selective about what you eat. For instance, uh, you're not going to find me spending much time at a salad bar. <laughs> Amen? I am not going to spend a whole lot of time at the appetizers. No, I'm going straight for the meat and taters. Amen? That's what I like to eat, the good stuff. My point is this. We are selective. We choose what we want to eat. We choose what we want to do. But many times, we're also selective with God's commands. That lies the problem. For an example, here's a command that maybe we're not very good at obeying. In James chapter 1, in verse 27... The half-brother of the Lord Jesus wrote this. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Here's pure and undefiled religion. To visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now that word visit... To visit the orphans and the widows and to keep oneself unspotted. Visit means not only go see them. That's one thing. But it also means to look after their well-being. So as Christians, by command of God's word, by the authority of scripture, you and I are commanded to look after the well-being of orphans and widows. Would you all agree that that's what that verse says? Amen? Bethel Youth Group has been obedient in this. Uh, I, I found it awesome that our young people wanted to go and look after, if you would, to look after some of the orphans that are at the Alabama Children's Home. 
Not only do they go and visit, they go, they spend their time, they play with those kids, they love on those kids, they minister on those kids, they share part of their uh, budget with those kids, and they don't just do it once, they go back again and again. By the way, when's the next time y'all are going? November. Amen. So what a wonderful blessing that is. That is in obedience to James chapter 1, verse 27. Now, there are also many widows who are a part of our church and who are not a part of our church. And the authority of Scripture on my life and yours is that we are also to look after them in their homes, in the nursing homes, at the hospitals, uh, wherever they may be. There are many widows right here in our own church family. Now, I've heard people say things like this. Uh, well, I don't like hospitals. Um, I don't like nursing homes because they smell funny. Or, you know, I just don't know what those people's needs are. Or, uh, no one told me that that widow was having a hard time. But did you know, friend, that there are countless men and women in our nursing homes that never get visited by anybody outside of the facility? Never! Can you imagine how lonely an existence that would be? Do you see, the, do you understand how important it is to fulfill this command, this obligation that God has placed on my life and yours? Countless men. So we need to remember our widows and widowers and orphans in their times of trouble and in their times of loneliness. But here's another command that we prefer to overlook. Y'all loving this, ain't you? Amen. Say, I love it. Amen. Here we go. In James chapter 1, one verse up. In verse 26, listen to what the half-brother of the Lord says. If anyone among you thinks that he's religious, which I pray you do, if any one of you among you, if anyone among you thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, whoa, Brother Bill's getting in my grill now, and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, listen to this, this one's religion is useless. My, my, my. Even as Christians, sometimes we say whatever we think. Sometimes, even as Christians, we say whatever we think without stopping to consider how those words might hurt somebody. Listen up. If you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you're claiming that Jesus Christ shed his blood for you on Calvary's cross, you need to be more careful about what you say and how you speak. Can I get a testimony? I'm glad we're in agreement. So should I go on? Are there some more commands that we don't obey very well? Probably a pretty long list, amen? And I'm as guilty as anybody. And listen, y'all, I know we ain't perfect. I know we don't always do it right, but would you agree with me that sometimes we don't even try? 
Sometimes we don't even give it a wholehearted effort. We should at least give some effort to obeying the Lord the best we can. I know it's not easy. I know it's a challenge. When we come, but when we come across definite commands in Scripture, we should work at them and ask the Lord for help to be obedient. Why? Because if you're going to live a life in response to the grace of God, you've got to learn to walk in obedience to God's commands. We all do. To walk with the Lord, you've got to make a conscious effort to walk in obedience. But you also have to learn to walk in love. This may be more difficult than the first one. Verse 6 goes hand in hand with verse 4. Verse 6 says, This is love that we walk according to his commandments. In order to walk in love, you first got to learn to walk in obedience. If you really love God, you're going to walk in obedience to his commands. To walk loving God, you must walk according to what he tells us to do. I read a, a sermon about, uh, from preacher Wayne Smith, and he said, Lord, I know it's wrong to hate anybody, but if you ever change your mind, I got the perfect person picked out. That's funny. How about you? Is there somebody out there that you would love to hate? Is there somebody out there who you got a real problem with? Is the list long? Amen. Listen, there will always be people that we don't get along with. Always. Because they're not like you. But we are not commanded to like people. We are commanded to love people. Now I know it's difficult to love somebody you don't even like. It's a lot easier to demonstrate love to people who are nice and sweet and think like me it's a lot easier to love people who are lovable and kind and considerate. But God's command stands true. There's no changing of God's word. We must learn to walk in love toward other people. That's just the way it is. You don't have a choice. Can I get an amen on that? We have to love other people the best you can. I read a story about when missionaries first went to Greenland. Greenland. For the whole first year, those missionaries were completely unable to make any kind of impression toward the indigenous people who lived in Greenland. They couldn't make, they couldn't budge, they couldn't do anything. They didn't want to listen to them. They didn't want to listen to nothing those missionaries had to say. And then all of a sudden, a severe outbreak of smallpox broke out. Greenlanders started getting really sick. Greenlanders started dying left and right with smallpox. And those missionaries 
began to minister. They began to minister to the bodies of the Greenlanders and the souls of the Greenlanders in Jesus' name. And after they did that, the way became crystal clear. The people in Greenland said, you have nursed us in our sickness. You have cared for us in our distress. You have buried our dead. Now then, tell us about your master. When you minister to people in their need, whatever that need may be, you are loving them and you're pointing them to your master. Now there are all kinds of ways for you to express love and demonstrate love. You can demonstrate love by speaking kindly, by encouraging people, by doing them a favor, giving them a listening ear, perhaps sharing in their need. But until you do these things, they don't want to hear about your master. So in order to walk in a way that is respondent to the grace of God in your life, we have got to learn to walk in love. And thereby point people to our master. So what is it that you do to demonstrate love to people? What is it that you can do to demonstrate love? To other people. More importantly, what is it you will do to demonstrate love to other people? Scripture is clear. If you want to walk with the Lord, you're going to have to learn to walk in obedience and you're going to have to learn to walk in love. Now, this one's going to be a challenge for you, perhaps, because not only do we need to learn to walk in obedience and love, but we also need to learn to walk in truth. There's a nasty little word going around in church circles, something called doctrine. Doctrine basically means truth. The truth. Listen to what verse 7 says. John says, for many deceivers, say deceivers, Many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose the things that we've worked for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house or greet him, for he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. 
Friend, one of the most difficult challenges for the believer today is false teaching. False teaching. Many false teachers, they don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior that the Bible proclaims him to be. Many deceivers believe in something. They just don't believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. But here's the truth. The truth of Christ is the truth of God. This is the author of the Scripture, the Holy Spirit of God, telling us about the truth of Christ. Jesus is still the way. He's still the way. And he's still the life. And still no man comes to the Father except through him. And we need to believe that and we need to preach that. False teachers are deceivers. And often their teaching uh, has just a strong enough hint of truth in it to ensnare the unaware. But I want you to note who the deceiver is. Verse 7 says, Many deceivers have gone out of the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver. A deceiver. A person who denies that Jesus Christ came in the flesh. They deny that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And if he's not the Son of God, what, what a big deal is it that he died on a cross? He is the Son of God. And only because the Son of God died on the cross for my sins and yours do we have any hope of forgiveness in heaven. So be on guard, friend, against deceivers who want to lead you astray. They want to lead you astray, for the deceiver is an instrument of the enemy. An instrument of Satan himself who wants to prevent you from receiving your full reward. Your place in heaven. Now again, John is writing to the church and her children. A lady and her children is the way he put it. And in that church, false teaching was running rampant. They were being deceived left and right. And that church family needed to be careful about who was teaching and what they were listening to. You need to be careful about who's teaching and what you're listening to. And you need to make sure that you take all the teaching, all the preaching that you receive, and you bring it in conjunction with the Word of God. And you make sure that what you're being taught and what you're being preached about uh, matches up with this word. No matter how much charisma a teacher may have. No matter how much you might like the preacher, right? <laughs> Amen. No matter how persuasive he may be, we must not listen to him if he's denying God's son is the Lord Jesus Christ who came to earth as a man. Friend, don't let anyone prevent you from receiving your full reward. And that full reward only comes through faith in the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. In verse 9, John says that the person who does not abide, that is, he don't stay close 
to the teaching of Christ, he don't have God. He's not saved. He's not born again. Let me share it with you again in verse 9. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, here goes, does not have God. If you don't stay close to Jesus, you ain't got a relationship with God. And that's what we ought to be striving for. Then in verse 10 and 11, Paul instructs us to keep these false teachers out of our church. He furthermore instructs us to keep these false teachers out of our homes. Did you hear it? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. You're not to welcome him. You're not to encourage him. You just send him on their way. Why? Because he who greets him and provides an audience for him is basically sharing in his evil deeds. Now, I know some Christians who love to witness to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons when they come knocking on the door. And I know that Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, they need Jesus and a right relationship with the Lord as much as any of us do. But listen, that's only for the most mature believer. You better know what you're going to be talking about. You better know what you're going to share with them because you know what? They do. It's only for the most mature believers. But I believe here that the scriptures are telling you and I that when they come knocking, you've got to send them packing. Send them packing. Don't intimate them into your home. Don't give them any welcome. Don't provide them any audience where they can hone their witnessing skills. Don't take their literature, because you know why? They're going to mark you. And they will be back on your doorstep. Friends, they don't abide in the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't teach that Jesus Christ is the one and only Son of God. They are deceivers that should not be allowed in your house. And we're not to allow deceivers to come be around our kids either. We're not to allow false teachers to come and be around our young people. We're not to allow them to be in the fellowship of believers where they can share their ideas. We're not to allow them to teach in our church. We're not to support them financially. And we're not to give them any encouragement whatsoever because they're deceivers and they're false teachers. Listen carefully. If you don't get anything else I've said this morning, I want you to get this this morning. Any person who denies Jesus Christ is among the most dangerous people on the planet. The most dangerous people on the planet. On the planet. He can doom your children. He can doom your family members. He can doom us. He can doom this church. If we allow them. In our midst. So. How is your walk. Today. We're talking about. Living a life in response to the grace of God. Are you bearing good fruit 
in your life? I don't know the answer to that other than what I see. You don't know that about me other than what you see. But you know that about you, don't you? Are you bearing good fruit in your life? Are you bearing bad fruit in your life? You know that too, don't you? Are you doing the will of your Father in heaven? You know that as well. Do you remember this? And I want you to repeat after me. Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. Y'all get that? Your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. We must walk in faith that we claim to believe. Walk by faith in the Savior whom we claim to believe. How do we do that? Well, our walk with Jesus includes obedience to the commands of God. Our walk with Christ includes demonstrating love to God and to other people. A walk with Christ includes living the truth of the gospel of Jesus. Brother Bill, what is the gospel? What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? How do I live in the truth of the gospel? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers in verse 15, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preach to you, which also you received, and which also you stand. By which also you are saved. If you hold fast to that word which I preached to you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again on the third day according to the scriptures. Paul defined the gospel for us. But he wrote to some other believers in Ephesus, and here's how he said it. He said, I know you're sinners. We all are. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses and sins, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Not of works lest any person should boast. Can you say this morning that you have placed your complete faith and trust in that gospel I just shared with you? It's not my gospel. It's the gospel of the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. 
And for you to be admitted into heaven, to be admitted into the presence of the Father, you will have to have had your full faith and trust implanted in this gospel. And if you don't, there is but one alternative. I'm not trying to scare you. But I'd be doing you a disservice if I tried to tell you, if I tried to sugarcoat it to make you think that you can go to heaven some other way. But you cannot. And so this morning is God's invitation to you to come and publicly place your faith in Jesus Christ, the truth, and believe in his gospel where Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried and raised again so that you and I might be saved. But you know this message has a lot to say for us more seasoned believers too, doesn't it? Because I think it would be safe for me to say that we seasoned believers, we trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We believe that the only way that I'm saved is through his, his mighty work on the cross. But am I walking in obedience to God's commands? Am I walking in love? Am I walking in the truth? I can't say that I do that all the time. But I know that God is a God of mercy. And he convicts me when I don't walk in obedience. He convicts me when I don't walk in love. He convicts me when I don't walk in the truth. And he leads me to repent, to change my thinking, to change my heart, and to make the changes in my life that have got to be made. You are God's chosen instrument to influence the people you know. Did y'all hear that? You are God's chosen instrument to influence the people you know. And if you ain't doing it in obedience, if you're not doing it in love, and if you're not doing it in truth, you're doing it wrong. Today's your day, too. Today's your day to get right. If the Holy Spirit's convicting you like he has me. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for your son. The only son our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for authoring the Word of God.